Silence your cell phones now. What is good? Welcome back to the Pop-Off Podcast. I am Ralph Campiano. I am your host, and this is a monologue show, or a soliloquy show, about movies. Uh, Before we dive into it, I'm going to talk about five movies today that I think everybody should at least give a chance watch either in the theater or on video on demand. But before we do that, I just want to say I'm glad to be back. I'm sorry that I've been gone for so long. I think it's been about a week and a half since last time I got to talk on mic. I've missed it. I'm probably going to be pretty rusty, so if you could bear with me, that would be much appreciated. But thank you so much to The Rent Money Show for holding it down while I've been gone. Adam Capsch, Jack Turner, absolutely killing it every single week. I encourage people to listen to it, even if they're not college football freaks kind of like how I am. I'm not a huge college football guy. I'm more on the NFL NFL side of things, which we will be talking about more as the season advances towards the playoffs. But those guys are just so goddamn good at talking to each other, man. And they can talk about Christmas movies, religion, and all these kinds of goofy things. And I tune in every week just for that kind of stuff. Um, So thank you to them. Also, thank you to Adam Capps for hosting the Bunkhouse Boys, our Yellowstone recap pod. House of the Dragon ended Yellowstone stepped in so Evan Dowd and Corey Machete both two first-time podcasters are absolutely torching that at the guidance of Adam Capps who's just doing a remarkable job on all things on the pod so I'm very appreciative of him we love him very much here and then of course the Horny Boys our new Chicago Bulls podcast hosted by Carter Fairman starring Jack Martin aka The Martian Really proud of what we've built here. We're going to keep going, keep chugging along as 2022 ends and we move towards 2023. Um, But in the meantime, this is not my end of the year list. We will have a big, big show for that. But in the meantime, I just wanted to talk about five movies that I've seen recently in the last two weeks or so, all in the theaters that I think people should either be given a chance and watching on video on demand as they start coming here or try to catch them while they're still in theaters because it's it's not the best year for movies but it's definitely not a bad year for movies and there's a whole lot of conversation about the movie industry the economy all of that kind of mumbo jumbo that I spend way too much time thinking about and having anxiety attacks over but the actual movies that are coming out are pretty damn good guys I feel optimistic about where movies are heading you know, I was pretty scared in 2020 when COVID happened and No Bed Land was obviously the best movie of the year. Not my favorite movie of the year, but probably the best, at least executed. Ended up getting Best Picture. Last year, Coda wins Best Picture at the Oscars. And I'm like, what the fuck? There are so many better movies than that. But now we're in 2022. And as we come to the end of it, I just keep looking at this list of 2022 movies. And I'm like, damn, it's like been a pretty solid year. So let's just dive right into it. The fifth movie I'm going to talk about is my eight, 16th favorite movie of the year so far. Still have a bunch of movies to see, but right now I have it number 16 on the year, and that's Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther, Ryan Coogler's vision of the comic book character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was a troubling watch for me. I thought that, like most people, the movie really missed Chadwick, and I miss Chadwick. He was one of the last strings that tethered me to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought he was such a charismatic, dynamite, dynamic 
and gripping performer. Every word that he uttered was just, you had to listen to it. And people did listen to him. And he was just a beautiful soul, a beautiful person. He sincerely missed, especially in this movie, which is all over the place. I thought the first 20 to 25 minutes were absolutely brilliant. We open on Shuri discovering the death of King T'Challa. And it was just like all of us when we saw the TMZ report that Chadwick Boseman had passed away from cancer. And I thought they did a really magnificent job of just showing how startled we all were. It was like, what the fuck? Chadwick Boseman? Like, he seemed like a god. There was no way that he could die, especially at this young of an age. And, you know, these things just happen. And I thought that Shuri was absolutely remarkable in this Letitia Wright sorry not Shuri that's her character's name I thought she was actually really good in this movie it was the things that were around her that just weren't great um Angela Bassett an absolute queen marvelous in this movie as always she's good in everything but my real issue was with the plotting in the second act which was super hectic and chaotic and I'm surprised to have seen that a lot of the critical praise of the movie surrounded up I believe it's Namor is the villain of the movie and I thought he was just absolutely awful I mean he had wings on his feet and I know that he's stripped right from the comics and that Marvel can't help themselves with that but I just thought the performance was just brutal I mean he had no charm whatsoever I never really was appealed towards his side his whole idea is essentially overtaking the land world so the real world that we live in right now and just drowning everybody and I I mean it's been a couple of weeks since I saw it but good god it was just one of those movies where it's like why did this have to be two and a half hours long it's longer than boogie nights man it's like you gotta be self-aware at some point and Ryan Coogler is self-aware as a filmmaker and that's why I was surprised it felt like this movie was a little bit less out of his control than the previous one it felt like Chapek or Iger or Kevin Feige, one of those guys was stepping in and making some serious editorial moves. And that's not why I signed up for a Ryan Coogler Black Panther movie. I signed up for his vision. And I think the highs in this movie are very, very high, but the rest of it is just so low. And that's just not the recipe for a movie that's going to hold my attention and demand a rewatch. This is not a movie that I will be returning to. So I think that's one of the issues with Marvel right now is they're on a drought right now for movies that I actually want to return to. I'm not going back to Doctor Strange. I'm not going back to Thor. I'm not going back to Black Widow. And I'm curious to see what kind of reception, not even what reception, but how I'm going to feel about the new Ant-Man movie, which is going to be pivotal for the actual series because Paul Rudd's one of the only you know, core guys, quote-unquote, that's left. And we're going to be getting a lot of Kang the Conqueror. And Jonathan Majors is one of my favorite young actors right now, so I'm really excited about that. But I'm also... I don't know kind of skeptical guys it's uh it's not been a hot streak for Marvel to say the least let's move on to number four on my list I have it right now at number 10 on the year and it is Martin McDonough's Banshees of Inishirin if there's any movie on this list that I expect people probably aren't going to be watching it's going to be the one about two Irish guys and Colin Farrell and why am I forgetting his name right now Brendan Gleeson and the disruption and the rupture of a friendship of two guys in 1940s Ireland. But I think it's worth a watch if you're into slow, dramatic, building, deep, revelatory films. 
It is really fucking funny at some points, but then also very, very dark. And it's not going to leave you with a happy ending. So if you're into those kinds of movies, this is the one for you. I'm sure it's on video on demand by now. If it's not, you can try to see it at Cinemark or some theater that is supporting these movies. Because it is... um. There are some movies that you'll see that you can't help but think of the next day and the day after and the day after that. And there's another movie on this list that I'm going to talk about here soon that fits that description. But Banshees is one of those where it's like, I had no idea what to expect going into it. I knew it would be McDonough, Gleason, and Colin Farrell reuniting for, I believe, the first time since In Bruges, which is another terrific movie if you haven't seen it. And you just got to give yourself away to this movie. And if you do, if you let it wash you in its Irish waves, then you're going to get a really fun, really, (laughs) actually, I'm not sure fun is the right word, but definitely an entertaining and a gripping experience because that's the power of movies. They don't all have to be laughs and shits and giggles. Like sometimes like you just got to watch a movie to not feel bad about yourself, but to feel some sort of catharsis, right? Like this was a movie where I was watching. I was like, God, I'm really happy that I wasn't alive in the 1940s in Ireland. How fucking boring would it have been to live in that time? No internet. All you have is like one buddy and you go to a pub and he plays a violin and you kind of read books, but not really because you're pretty stupid and your sister's way smarter than you. It's uh, it's just one of those movies that just keeps you going in and keeps you rooting for the main character, the protagonist, and Colin Farrell, and siding with him, and sympathizing and empathizing with him. So I loved it, and I think that if you give it a chance, you would too. Let's move on to number three here. What do we got? Number three. Going off my letterboxed list, so bear with me. Ah, yes, number three. Wow, this is number three. So this is my fourth favorite movie of the year so far. And these are all subject to change because we still have Avatar and Babylon and uh, White Noise and a bunch of other movies that are still coming out the rest of the year. So these rankings will probably be changed by the end of the year. But number four, I have The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's newest film. I mean, what is there to say about this? Let's break it down in the most basic of terms, okay? So... If you're not aware, Steven Spielberg is, if not the greatest filmmaker of all time, then at least the most accomplished. So this is the guy who made E.T., Jaws, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Chances are if you or your dad or your mom have a favorite movie, you know, a 10 favorite movie list, one of them is going to feature a Spielberg. Indiana Jones, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the list goes on and on. Minority Report, War of the Worlds, um... I mean, it's just Bridge of Spies. He did West Side Story last year. Catch me if you can. I mean, it, that's like essentially the podcast is naming Spielberg movies because he just has so fucking many of them and so many of them are good. So he's been working for 50 years now and he has always had an identity in his movies and themes that are similar that typically involved divorced parents. And there's been kind of this mystery surrounding him for the last 50 years. Like, okay, why is he always including this theme? Like, even if you watch ET, it's like, Oh, the dad left with the the mistress or the nanny to go to Mexico. And that's why the little boy is, uh, has a void in his heart and he needs an alien to fill it. But every single one of his movies has this kind of theme. And people were curious, why? Why do we keep returning to this? We know his parents are divorced, but what's the, what's the real reason here? Because he's mentioned in the past, and there's a documentary about him on HBO, but 
He never went to therapy. He always thought of movies and making movies as his mode of therapy. And we should be lucky that he never went to therapy because he ends up making brilliant movies instead of going to therapy. So thank you, Steven Spielberg. We love you and we appreciate you. But The Fablemans is an auto, essentially an autobiography. Okay, so it follows a character named Sammy Fableman who was a stand-in for young Steven Spielberg. And it tracks his progression from seeing his first movie in a theater, The Greatest Show on Earth, witnessing a train accident, recreating that train accident in order to cope with the danger of seeing that train accident and being scared by it as like a six-year-old boy. And then he goes to high school and we get a little bit of high school drama. But in between all of that and within all of that is a intense family drama starring Paul Dano, Michelle Williams, and Seth Rogen. And I don't want to give any of the plot away, no spoilers here, but it's worth seeing just for the family drama. And then I mean, you get to see Steven Spielberg become Steven Spielberg. It's like one of the coolest fucking things. And it has one of my favorite final scenes I've seen in a long time featuring another acclaimed filmmaker starring in a cameo as Steven Spielberg's filmmaking hero. No spoilers there either. And then just a perfect, perfect final shot. So I absolutely love this movie. One of my five favorite movies of the year thus far easily. Uh, saw it with a huge crowd, which was really cool to see. I did not expect there to be a full crowd for this movie. And I was delighted to see that it was people of all ages. You know, it was older people who grew up with Spielberg. I mean, he's a 75-year-old filmmaker now. And people my age and teens. And I think there's a couple of, like, children there. And, you know, it's just... It's a movie that can make you laugh. It's a movie that can make you cry. And it's a movie that can make you cry from laughing so hard. And laugh from crying so hard. Because... It is gripping, and he has been criticized for being, quote-unquote, too sentimental in the past. But if you're as good at being sentimental as him, then it should not be a knock because he's the best to ever do it. I mean, I love Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think they're you know probably the most gifted. And if you're going shooting percentage for movies, uh, PTA and QT are definitely top two. But then Scorsese and Spielberg are like, we're pumping out movies as much as we can. We're going to feed the audience. And I admire that because, you know, I'm going to be on the same wavelength here with the podcast. We're going to be pumping out a new one every single day um, for 25 days of Christmas. So um, I can I can admire that and respect that. But yes, go see The Fablemans. It'll be in theaters for a while. And it's a shame that it's not getting more and more public attention because it really deserves it. Uh, all right, number two would be now, this is a complicated movie because it's no longer in theaters and it doesn't come to streaming services for another month, but it's Glass Onion, the new Knives Out mystery by Ryan Johnson, starring Daniel Craig again, also featuring Janelle Monet, Edward Norton, Madeline Klein, fine as fuck, Kate Hudson, fine as fuck, uh, Batista's in it, just a stacked cast, Leslie Odom Jr., also terrific in it, um, I don't want to say too much about this movie. We'll talk about it once it actually gets released. Um, but this is going to be something that a lot of families have a lot of fun with around Christmas time. And I'm really happy for all those families. But I'm more happy for the families that decided to see this together on Thanksgiving weekend while it was in theaters for six days. Because go you. This was an awesome, awesome, awesome theater experience. Saw it with, uh, once again, a nearly packed house. I was surprised to see how many people were there. It was beautiful. We were laughing our asses off. We were all getting, you know, twisted and turned by the mystery that is the whodunit. 
It's like a game of Clue come to life. So if you haven't seen the 2019 version of Knives Out, no worries. You have plenty of time to watch it. But even if you can't watch it between now and December 23rd when Glass Onion comes to Netflix, that's all right. It's not a direct sequel. It's more of a spiritual sequel. It just features the same detective. That's really all. But it has no similar things to the previous one. So I loved it. And I'd love to go see it again in theaters, but... Netflix is a fucking bitch and they only have it out for six days. So I'll have to wait until December 23rd to watch it again. And I will watch it again around Christmas time because I thought it was terrific. Uh, what do we have here at, are we already down to number one? Wow. We are. All right. Tar. It's time to talk tar. T a R a with an accent. Just because starring Kate Blanchett written and directed by Todd field. If Nope hadn't come out, this would be the best movie of the year. And let me tell you why. You never see a movie where every single shot, every single scene features one character anymore. It just doesn't happen. I just watched Being There, the Hal Ashby movie starring Peter Sellers. Sellers is almost every single scene in that movie. And Tar is a totally different movie than Being There. Like, probably could not be further away from it. But it is one of the most serious, intense, and focused dramas that I've ever seen. It is so fucking detailed. Every single inch of this thing is calculated and brilliant. And you can tell that there was a magnifying glass on it because it's Field's first movie in 16 years. It's only his third feature film. But Kate Blanchett is an absolute... Like she is 2012 LeBron, 2009 Kobe, 1993 Michael Jordan in this bitch. Like just unbelievable peak of her powers if she doesn't win the oscar i have no idea who will no idea because it seems like it should be a blowout she should be minus 1000 odds on FanDuel for it i mean she plays lydia tar a german well an american composer who is aspiring to become the greatest composer in the world if she isn't already living in germany and she is um a subject of much controversy she's not a great person She's very narcissistic. If you have watched Phantom Thread at my request, she might remind you a little bit of Reynolds Woodcock and the fact that she is very manipulative and meticulous. She likes things the way that she likes them, and she likes people to behave the way that she likes people to behave. And I'm not going to say I relate to that because that might be too revealing, but at the same time, I saw a little bit of myself in her. Why not? I'm not near as smart. I'm not near as gifted. I'm not near as talented. But Lydia Tarr is just, I mean, the movie opens up with essentially a 20 to 30 minute New Yorker interview that kind of serves as the exposition of like, okay, this is who this is, this is how accomplished she is. And then as the course of the movie starts to unravel, you realize that not everything in that is true and that essentially the Wikipedia summary of her has been doctored with. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything else, but this is just one of those movies where if you give yourself over to it for two and a half hours, you will come out. <laughs> you, you'll come out fucking shook, first of all. But you'll also come out more appreciative of the form of the movie industry, of the performance, and just of, I don't know, life in general. I think that's the best thing about movies. It sounds cliche and cheesy, but that's why I love movies so much because it gives me a new perspective on things. I get to see how other performers and filmmakers and all of these kinds of people actually think about the world. And, you know, as a person who lives in Des Moines, Iowa, that's a 
that's a gift. You know, I, I run into a lot of people. I meet a lot of people and we all have different perspectives, but it's kind of hard to reveal what we actually think about the world. And some of the most intimate things that you can do is actually creating something. And so I, I like to think that's what we do on the show. I like to think that's what everybody can do on in every, any given day in a conversation. But in reality, the most unfiltered and real version of a person can come out when they're creating something, specifically a film, as deep and as dramatic and as impressive as Tar. So there it is, five movies. Tar is definitely on video on demand right now. Rent it for, I don't know, four bucks. You probably get it for six bucks right now. Totally worth it. Um, maybe if there's one person out there who wants to see it that hasn't seen it yet, if you actually DM me, I'll pay for it. I don't even care. I want more people to see this fucking movie. So I'll, I'll reserve one $10 max rental for it. Um, and then also Glass Onion coming out December 23rd. The Fablemans still in theaters. Go see that. I'm sure you've all seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever because we are all uh, destined to die under Disney's cold, dark grip. And then what was the last one? Oh, Banshees of Inner Sharon. Um, that'd be the one that I expect most people will not see. And that's okay. That movie can be for me. But the rest of them, that's why I recorded the pod. Wanted to put them out there for you guys. So thank you for tapping in. I have not seen Bones and All yet. I'm seeing that tonight. I have not seen Strange World. I will probably see that this weekend, hopefully with my little sister. Um, and we still got some more movies coming out, man. It is movie time. Went to two back-to-back days going again tonight i'm pumped up uh so thank you guys for listening make sure to follow the page follow the instagram which is low-key blowing up right now because of a bull bull instagram reel who would have thought um so that's pretty exciting and then we will be doing our 25 days of christmas series starting tomorrow so every day we will be talking about a movie at least featuring a Christmas scene. That's all I'll say. So there's a wide variety of movies that we can talk about here. Uh, but we'll only be talking about the Christmas sequences within them. Uh, so thank you guys once again for listening. We love you. And we will see you on the other side. Peace out. Silence your cell phones now.